1: Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today we're going to be studying chapter 20. We're gonna explore this chapter which is titled Animal to Human, the Evolution of our Consciousness. Essentially what this chapter is getting to is the cycle of rebirth and helping us to understand these five realms of existence as well as how the human mind evolves out of the animal consciousness and becomes more and more human along this path to enlightenment. So I'm going to be sharing some teachings with you to help you understand the five realms as well as this cycle of rebirth and the various problems that we encounter in the unenlightened mind. And you can see what's contributing to that unenlightened mind through understanding animal existences and past lives and these five realms of existence. And then we'll talk about moving the mind from the animal consciousness towards the human consciousness and what that looks like. So as always, I would like to welcome you to be here and to learn and progress on the path to enlightenment. And I would also like to invite you to ask questions as we go, because this chapter is really the first time that we've really dove into the cycle of rebirth in the way that we're going to today. We've touched on it at different times, but today we're really gonna dive into it. And as we go, you can ask any questions you like about the content that we're discussing. And then if there's any questions that you have about meditation or any other aspects of the path, we can discuss those as well towards the end of the class. So as you're interested in asking any question whatsoever, you can just type that into the comment section of Facebook or YouTube or Zoom. And you can also raise your hand in the Zoom classroom and ask your questions directly. Our moderator, Max, is going to be able to see your questions that you type into the comment sections of Facebook, YouTube, and Zoom, and make sure that those get asked during the class and you can get the answers to what it is that you're looking for. So once again, thank you for joining. Glad you're here. Let's go ahead and start exploring this chapter 19 related to the human consciousness evolving from this animal consciousness to the human consciousness. So the first thing that is important to understand as we talk about the cycle of rebirth and the evolution of our consciousness is to understand the problems with the human consciousness now that you're in the human realm. We've discussed some of these and most of these in the past, but I would just like to kind of remind you of what it is that we've discussed. We discussed these three poisons, three unwholesome roots or three fires called craving, anger, and ignorance or greed, hatred, and delusion. I also refer to this last one as the unknowing of true reality. This is kind of like the high level problem of what the Buddha discovered that is keeping the mind in the unenlightened state. This craving or greed, this outward searching for satisfaction, looking for these pleasant feelings and trying to attach and grab and hold on to things, the mind's craving permanence, and it's essentially causing itself discontentedness because of this craving or this greed, this craving desire attachment where the mind wants to hold on permanently to things and it's causing itself discontentedness because of this longing with a strong eagerness right so this is the primary problem that the buddha discovered and then that second problem where the mind is having anger hatred ill will or hostility where when something's disagreeable we want to fight, or we want to push people away, or we become aggressive towards people. This is that anger, hatred, or ill will. And then this ignorance, delusion, or unknowing of true reality, the unenlightened mind, that consciousness of the unenlightened mind, it doesn't understand these life-affirming teachings that, when learned and practiced, eradicate the defilements. These are also referred to as the defilements. These three poisons, three unwholesome roots, or three fires are referred to as the poisons or pollution of the mind. Because as long as there's this mental longing with a strong eagerness, with craving and greed, then the mind's going to always experience discontentedness. And as long as there's this hatred, anger, ill will, we're going to experience hostility and aggression and push people away from us and not be able to live and coexist with all people peacefully. And where this is coming from is the mind doesn't understand. It's ignorant or has delusion. It has unknowing of true reality of all of these things that are actually causing one's mind and one's life to experience this discontentedness and this anger that is being experienced in our daily lives. So, this is kind of like the high level problem, which I often incorporate into that description about the self or the ego. Because when the unrelated mind thinks that there's a self, which is really part of the ignorance, delusion, or unknowing of true reality, when the mind's holding on to this permanent self, this concept of a permanent self in the mind, the mind becomes very selfish and it wants to hold on to things and it doesn't want to share and it kind of holds on to things really tightly and then of course the ego or this arrogance this conceit this pride this measuring and comparing kind of wanting a pecking order of you know who's above me and who's below me and kind of trying to figure out who's in this pecking order these things are all what's keeping the mind in the unenlightened state. And these go down into more detail in the 10 fetters. If you look at the 10 fetters, it takes these and kind of really isolates them and look at them in a very close way. So when we talk about what is enlightenment, we often say it's the elimination of craving, anger, and ignorance, the realization of non-self, and dissolving of the ego. Or we might say it's the elimination of greed hatred and delusion the realization of non-self and dissolving of the ego so this is the primary problem that is keeping the mind in the unenlightened state is these aspects of the mind which get further explored and further understood as you learn more and more of Gautama Buddha's teachings, and you learn the prescription or the antidotes of how to solve this and how do we eradicate it from the mind. But what you might be asking yourself is, well, where does all of this come from? Why is the mind in this human state, in this condition? Well, what happens is the vast majority of us are reborn out of the animal realm. And an animal is going to have these particular aspects of the mind quite heavily, which we're going to talk about as we progress today. The mind is essentially conditioned through all these countless lives that we experience. And even though you might not be remembering certain past lives at this particular moment, there's been countless lives that you've experienced. And as you awaken, you may actually become more aware of those. So in your current life, there's certain conditioning that you've picked up from your parents, from your teachers, your friends, your partners, your neighbors, people around you. There's certain learned behaviors that you've picked up. And some of these cravings have actually come from your previous lives as well. And this conditions the mind to experience what it experiences nobody is born into the world already enlightened there's no one that's born in that situation because if you're enlightened you wouldn't be reborn right so it's this conditioning from previous lives in your current life that's contributing to these three poisons the self and the ego we're going to get into that in a much more detail as we go. So this is like the problem that we've talked about most significantly and most detail as we've gone through this program. But the real problem that we're all experiencing because of what I just spoke about because of this craving, anger, ignorance, because of this greed, hatred, delusion, unknowing of true reality, the self, the ego, because of this conditioning that the mind experiences through all these lives that we've lived, we continue to be reborn over and over and over and over. And we haven't figured it out. We haven't figured out with these teachings of how to eradicate these things from the mind so that the mind can become enlightened and no longer be reborn back into the world. So the real problem that we're all experiencing is continuous rebirth. And because of birth, we experience this continuous misery of sickness, aging, and death, all of this discontentedness that we experience through existing. So the Buddhist teachings do solve These three poisons, eliminating those as well as the self and the ego, all this conditioning of the mind gets eradicated and the mind becomes enlightened. But the real problem that you're solving is the cycle of rebirth because the goal is to no longer be reborn over and over and over again because as long as there's birth, there's going to be sickness, aging, and death. In fact, the only reason why any of us die is because we were born. If we weren't born, we would never die. And because we're born, we're going to experience sickness because the body's impermanent. We're going to experience aging, which is aches and pains and sicknesses as we age, right? Because there's this human life, we're going to experience that and we're going to experience death. And we've been in this constant round of being reborn in this cycle over and over and over and over again because we haven't learned the things that we need to learn in order to eradicate these three poisons, the self and the ego. And if we don't do that in this life, then there's going to be rebirth into another realm of existence at some point after our death. So it's this life that we can actually learn and cultivate the consciousness, evolve it more and more. And we can see that we're on the right path because the condition of the mind gradually improves. And as that condition of the mind gradually improves, you know you're learning the truth and you see the improvements in your mind and in your life. And as you move closer and closer to enlightenment, what you will also know is that you're eliminating the cycle of rebirth, that you will no longer experience this misery of existing and coming into some type of existence. Now, in some places where you learn about things like five realms, right, where there's like a heaven and a hell and things like this, you may have conditioning in the mind where these types of things were used to maybe fear people or guilt people into learning and practicing the teachings of whatever tradition you were learning. That's not the way Gautama Buddha presented these whatsoever. These five realms of existence are part of what is true reality. And you can discover the truth on this on your own in your own practice. As your mind awakens, you may actually experience observation of your past lives. There's plenty of people who have. What Gautama Buddha's goal in his teachings that lead human beings to enlightenment is, is to eliminate discontentedness, which includes eliminating guilt and shame and fear, among other discontent feelings. So the presentation of the five realms of existence was never used by Gautama Buddha as a way of guilt, shame, or fearing people into learning and practicing his teachings. In fact, if you read the book that I wrote, or you've been involved in any of the classes that I share, I talk about in the beginning of the book, how Gautama Buddhist teachings are not a religion, right? It's all too frequently that we start having conditioning about this word religion, and we start rejecting religion because of some of the unfortunate things that happen in religion. You know, oftentimes we're guilted, shamed, or feared into things. We might be pressured to give money. There might be religious leaders who are doing things verbally, mentally, or sexually with certain followers of that tradition that we feel is not appropriate. And all of a sudden, this word religion kind of takes on a negative tone. So that's why I say that Gautama Buddha's teachings are not a religion because to me, religion is a centralized organization that collects up teachings of some original teacher like the Buddha or Jesus Christ or Prophet Muhammad. And then that centralized organization is distributing teachings and kind of impressing upon people to learn and practice those teachings. That's not what Gautama Buddha's teachings are. There is no centralized organization anywhere that's collected up his teachings and distributes them right there is nobody that should be using Gautama Buddha's teachings to guilt fear or shame people into learning and practicing so as i present to you the five realms of existence and i explain the various realms of what exists and what the aspects of that realm are i would like to ensure that you understand that in no way Am I using this to either guilt, shame, or fear people into learning and practicing these teachings? What I'm doing is I'm explaining the truth. I'm explaining with the wisdom of Gautama Buddha of what truly exists in this world. I experienced past lives on multiple occasions and observed past lives. And I had all these different experiences over the last 20, 25 years. Actually, I can even put it back further than that. Even when I was a child at the age of six and eight, I was having experiences from past lives, but I just didn't know that that's what it was. And through all of those different experiences that I had, it led me in a direction where when I was living in America, I ended up getting mental health. I was going in and out of mental health hospitals. I was put on medication. I was told that my brain was defective. I was told that I was hallucinating. I was told that I had psychosis. I was told that I could be possibly schizophrenic and all of these other things because the people that I was talking to didn't understand the cycle of rebirth and what I was experiencing. And to a certain level of degree, I kind of believed them for a period of time because I did take medicine for 24 years of my life. But it wasn't until I came here to Thailand and I started having those same exact experiences. And when I went to the hospitals here and sought advice for what I was experiencing, they essentially asked me, They said, well, would you like to do what you did in the past or would you like to try something new? And in the hospital room, the doctor and two nurses were asking me this question. And I said to them, I said, well, what I did in the past obviously isn't working or else I wouldn't be here in the hospital today. And they said, well, have you ever been treated for this in a Thai hospital? And I said, no. And they said, okay, well, what would you like to do? would you like to do what you did in the past, or would you like to try something new? And I said, well, since what I was doing in the past isn't working, let's try something new. And they said, okay, we'll take care of you, don't worry. And they turned around and they walked out of the room. And they didn't come back until the next day. And I didn't know of anything else to do but meditate. So I started meditating. And as I did over the course of many months and a few years, the mind became more and more clear, more and more stable. I completely got off the medications entirely. The people at the hospital didn't tell me this, but I can pretty much know that they understood that what I was experiencing was completely normal for a mind that is awakening, that you start having memories of past lives And they weren't telling me that, they didn't help me to understand that, but they just let it be. And as part of the meditation, as part of me having these various experiences where I observe past lives, I became very, very curious and I started diving into the teachings of Gautama Buddha. And when I did, his teachings explained exactly what I was experiencing to a T so closely in fact, that it almost kind of shook me that here's this person that existed 2,500 years ago and the teachings that I was reading were explaining exactly what I had been experiencing in my entire life. So what I'm going to share with you in terms of these realms and as we progress in our talk today is by no means a way to fear you, guilt you, or shame you into actually learning and practicing these teachings because if you've been learning these teachings for any length of time, you know that that's not the goal. The whole goal is to eliminate those things. So what I'm going to present to you is the truth based on what I experienced in life and based on what Gautama Buddha explained. And as you learn this, then where it benefits you Is as your mind's awakening through these teachings, if you start having similar experiences where you observe past lives, then you understand that it's completely normal. And if you hear voices in the mind at different times, you will understand that that's completely normal. You're going to probably need help. And that's where a teacher comes in that you reach out for guidance. You reach out for support. You ask for guidance along this path. You may come in contact with various beings from these realms. In fact, there's a student who's been interacting in the Facebook group now that as his mind has been awakening, he's becoming more and more aware of spirits in the afflicted spirit realm and in hell. And they're starting to show up in his life in different places. This is all very common and very normal. But if you haven't had teachings and you haven't been exposed to understand how to deal with these things, then it can be quite scary and it can be quite troubling. So it's important as part of your practice that as your mind's awakening and you may observe past lives, you may come into contact or communication with beings in these other realms. This is why it's important for you to understand the cycle of rebirth in these five realms not because anybody would ever try to guilt you shame you or fear you into practicing these teachings but because you're going to need to know these things so that as your mind awakens and you observe certain entities from other realms or certain other beings from other realms are trying to communicate with you or you observe your past lives, you don't get shaken up by it and you just realize that it's normal and you know that you can reach out to your teacher who's experienced these things and has helped other students work through these things that you can reach out to me and you can get guidance and help and support because most likely in your community, wherever you are in the Western community, they're not going to understand these things. And if you talk to certain people about these things that you're hearing voices and you saw this entity, this dark entity came to you and started telling you these things, or this heavenly being came to you, this divine being started talking to you, people are gonna think that you're quite sick and quite mentally ill, and you don't know what might necessarily happen to you. Some places, they can put you in a hospital and lock you up for three days because they think you're crazy, right? So the reason why I'm gonna share this with you is because the number one problem that we are all experiencing is the cycle of rebirth. We're in this cycle and we keep being reborn over and over and over and over again. And we haven't figured out how to eliminate this craving, anger, ignorance, this self and this ego, all this conditioning of the mind hasn't been eliminated and eradicated. The mind is still polluted with all this stuff. And therefore, we keep being reborn over and over and over again. So when we solve this problem of eliminating the defilements and this pollution of the mind, we solve that problem and we move into a peaceful, calm, serene and content mind with joy. But we also eliminate the cycle of rebirth and no longer needing to be reborn, no longer needing to experience the misery of existence, no longer needing to experience sickness, aging and death. So that's what we're going on on this journey as a way of progressing towards enlightenment on the path to enlightenment. So let me pause here and see if there's any questions that have come in and what things you guys would like to talk about related to what I've discussed so far.
2: Hi, David. So we have an interesting comment from Javier. He says that experiencing past lives could also just be the mind coming up with illusions like in dreams one would never know i think it could be that you want to see past lives so much
1: your mind shows you glimpses from my experience people who want to see past lives never do uh, because of the craving desire attachment from what happened to me is as i was progressing in these teachings i never studied anything about gotama Buddha's teachings and i never believed anything The whole topic of the cycle of rebirth, I set it to the side. I never believed it, but I never discounted it either. I just set it to the side. And as I started having all these experiences throughout my life, when they became more and more profound and I decided to finally start addressing the things that I was encountering, that's when I looked at the Buddhist teachings and started diving into understanding the cycle of rebirth. And in these teachings, these Buddha Wajana books that I'm going to be using for our Pali Canon in English program, the largest book that there is, is the one that's on the realms of existence. It's the thickest book out of all the books that we actually are going to be exploring. Well, when I started diving into understanding the cycle of rebirth, it explained exactly what I was experiencing. So it wasn't that my mind was conditioned to experience these things because I learned it first and then my mind experienced it. It was, I experienced all these things. And then when I learned about it through the Buddhist teachings, it explained exactly what I experienced. So that's how I know that my mind wasn't conditioned to experience these things, that I had the experiences first and then the Buddhist teachings explained it to me, what I actually experienced. Okay, I can see that,
2: Michael, your hand is up, so
3: I will now unmute you. Thank you, Max, thank you. And um, yeah, David, I just wanted to share my experience. Uh, before I was able to get into the Buddhist teachings, um, I was deep into sp- spirituality and like transcending levels of consciousness and energy. Um, I remember even before uh, there was there were like people that are channelers, you know, people that channel higher messages from um, other dimensions and stuff like that. And it was interesting as I was listening to them, I still had the intuition of like, kind of like I could tell which message, uh, the message is true or what it's saying and what they're saying and it's otherworldly and things like that and, um do Do you think, as we, as we go up in consciousness, our intuition goes up, it increases, and then we can tell we can just hear and just know messages that are being channeled or that are being told from the other side?
1: Yes, this is exactly what happens, and this is one of the reasons why I'm sharing what I'm going to be sharing today is that, as you learn and practice these teachings eradicating these three poisons which are burdening the mind as the mind starts to awaken and eliminates this pollution of the mind the mind starts tapping into these other realms or these other realms start tapping into you and it's important for you to understand that because if you've only ever been taught that you have one life and there's heaven and hell and that's it when you start experiencing all these other realms, when you start experiencing previous lives, if you don't understand these realms in the cycle of rebirth, you can feel quite crazy and you can kind of lose it like I did for many, many years at different times and different experiences. So we're going to talk about why that is, like why the mind does this when it starts awakening. I'm going to get to that as we go here. But yes, that's exactly what happens is as the mind awakens, you're going to be more open to other beings and other realms. And as that happens, it's important that you understand it so that you don't feel that there's something wrong with you. Because what happened with me is when I ended up seeking help at a medical facility over multiple years, I was put on all kinds of medications. And what this medication does is it basically suppresses the awakening of the mind and it keeps you trapped. So as long as we don't understand the five realms, as long as we don't understand awakening of the mind, as long as we don't understand the path to enlightenment, then more and more beings are going to keep being stuck in this cycle of rebirth. We're going to keep being in the cycle of rebirth over and over and over again, experiencing this misery of sickness, aging, and death. So it's only when we bring this understanding into our culture that more and more people can understand it and start escaping the cycle of rebirth rather than having their consciousness suppressed with things like medications. But that's actually a whole other topic that we're going to talk about in two weeks when we get into chapter 22.
3: So, David, do you think from this point on, like, once we're awakened and we're aware of these teachings and these higher teachings, pretty much everything is experiential from this point? Like, we're just going to be experiencing things according to how we are in our soul and how we're just here on this earth?
1: there's going to be various experiences that some people will have. Some people will be able to observe past lives and that will happen for them and other people won't. Not everybody who attains enlightenment experiences observation of past lives. And as Javier was saying, you know, I don't suggest that you crave or want to see past lives. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. That's fine. But just know that it can happen. And if it does happen, don't be shaken up by it. You've got somebody you can reach out to to talk to about it. Or if you've experienced, some people, even without having ever studied these teachings, will experience past lives. There's a four-year-old boy in Australia that started experiencing past lives. There's lots of people in the world, if you look in the news, that are experiencing this kind of stuff, but they don't understand it. So If you experience this stuff, don't be shaken up by it. There's plenty of ways that you can stabilize the mind. You just need somebody that understands it so that you can get the help that you need. And Michael, you mentioned the word soul there. I just would like to make sure I clarify for you that Gautama Buddha left that as an undeclared teaching. He never declared whether there is a soul or there isn't a soul. So just wanna make sure that you're aware of that.
2: Okay, thank you very much for the question, Michael. Okay, so let's go next to a question from Deborah. Deborah asks, some years ago, I was in a park and a wild bird came over to me. I had no food with me, so there was no reason for it to approach. It was unusually tame and even allowed me to touch it. I have often wondered if this could be a past life. What do you think, David?
1: Very well could be. It could be a being from your past that has come to you. It's hard to say. I suggest not even trying to figure that kind of stuff out because there's no way to actually really truly figure it out. But it's very likely that it could be, but it might not be as well. Sometimes people try to find all kinds of meaning in different things. Like I've been involved in some Facebook groups where someone will say, you know, I've, I've been coming across feathers and everywhere I go, there's feathers around me. What does this mean? Or I keep seeing the number three, three, three. What does that mean? Or, you know, this keeps happening. What does that mean? And people's mind gets obsessed around finding meaning in every little tiny thing. Not that you're doing that, Deborah, but I would suggest that when these kind of things happen, just see it for what it is and be like, oh, wow, it's, it's a bird and it's come over to be friendly and kind and has loving kindness. This is great. And rather than trying to determine what it might mean for you in your life, because in reality, if you look at what's truly happened is a bird has just come over to you and it's being friendly, it's being loving, it's being kind. That's all the mind needs to understand. Anything beyond that, that the mind might try to wrap itself around, that's just trying to find meaning in something that may or may not actually be there.
2: Okay. Thank you, David. I think we'd like to have many more questions about five realms. So I suggest we go to that next and maybe take the rest of the questions after.
1: Okay. So let's discuss the five realms of existence, because this is the bulk of what it is that I was interested to share with you guys today. There's five realms, and we're going to discuss each of these realms and the nature of these various realms. There's the heavenly realm. The heavenly realm only experiences pleasant feelings. The consciousness in the heavenly realm does not experience painful feelings or feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant. It's a very pleasant environment. Everything there is very comfortable. And these beings in the heavenly realm can attain enlightenment. They can cultivate the consciousness and attain enlightenment in that realm. But They lack motivation to actually learn and practice the teachings oftentimes, not always, but the beings in that realm can oftentimes become very complacent because they only experience pleasant feelings. They don't actually experience the painful side and they don't experience the neither painful nor pleasant. So this is why they lack motivation because everything is just so grand and so wonderful in the heavenly realm this is still in the cycle of rebirth. So in other traditions and places you might have learned, people might explain to you that it's actually the goal of that tradition, is to get to heaven. But that is not the goal of these teachings because beings in the heavenly realm are still in existence. They're still experiencing this discontent mind because pleasant feelings is still discontentedness. And beings in the heavenly realm, even though they can attain enlightenment, they oftentimes don't because they lack motivation. So they're reborn down into one of the other realms. So it's not desirable now that we're in this human state to actually want to attain a rebirth in the heavenly realm. That's not what you want whatsoever. One of the fetters that need to be eliminated from the mind in order to attain enlightenment is that you eliminate the desire for rebirth in any of these realms. And those are the sixth and seventh fetters. So the goal is not to be reborn into the heavenly realm. The goal is to attain enlightenment and no longer experience rebirth but there are these heavenly beings, they're divine beings. You'll see people refer to them as devas oftentimes. And these divine entities can actually provide you guidance. And there can be beings that you've been close to in this life that are in this heavenly realm, and they will kind of be around you and try to guide you throughout your human life. So if you've had parents or grandparents or close people to you that have passed away and died they may be existing in this heavenly realm and you may feel their presence or you may feel presence of other heavenly beings that you've never met ever in your life and they actually can oftentimes provide guidance in this life which we can talk about if you guys would like but that's one particular realm not desirable but it's there and you can get communication as the mind awakens from this heavenly realm then of course the realm that you guys are most familiar with which is the human realm that's the realm that we're in right now essentially we're experiencing this human birth and in this human birth in this human experience we experience painful feelings pleasant feelings and feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant so we experience the full range of discontentedness and we've talked about this in detail throughout this program. In the human realm, we have the ability to cultivate our consciousness to attain enlightenment. And we have the motivation to do it because we do experience all three feelings. Where in the heavenly realm, they lack motivation and oftentimes become very complacent because they only experience pleasant feelings. And our existence in the human realm, we experience those other types of feelings, which are painful feelings, pleasant feelings, and feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant. And these can be the motivators that encourage us to learn and practice these teachings to ultimately eliminate the defilements of the mind, actually attain enlightenment. The human existence is the ideal existence because of the uniqueness of this realm. Because we experience all three feelings, because we have the ability to cultivate our consciousness, it's kind of like the ideal place to learn the teachings of the Buddha and actually attain enlightenment. Where in that heavenly realm, although they can learn and cultivate their consciousness, they lack motivation oftentimes. So it's not the ideal realm to actually attain enlightenment. It's here in the human realm because we experience all three types of feelings and we have the ability to cultivate our consciousness this is the ideal place to attain enlightenment now that we have this human birth so a human birth is very prized it's a very cherished experience where some people in other traditions might say you know that you know you're kind of born into sin and it's a bad thing and that you're born and these kind of things in the Buddhist teachings, it's actually a very positive thing that you actually are in the human realm and that you are human, even though you're having challenges, even though you're having struggles, even though you've done things that have been harmful to yourself and to other people. All of that can be put in the past because you're not being judged on your entire life at death and then you go to a good place or a bad place. It's all about the present moment and what the condition of the mind is in the present moment. So if you die and there's craving, desire, attachment in the mind, then there's going to be rebirth. But if you eliminate all of this, and you'll know that you are because more and more discontentedness is being eliminated from your life and from the mind more and more, as you see the condition of the mind improving, you'll know that you're on the right path and you're progressing closer and closer to enlightenment. And you can remove and put behind you all the negativity all the unwholesomeness of what you experienced in this life you can put that all behind you through learning and practicing the teachings cultivating the mind training it to become more and more peaceful calm serene content with joy in this human experience so this is the ideal place to be able to do that because of the condition and uniquenesses of this existence in the human realm the animal realm they experience all three feelings as well. So like a dog, or a cat, or a buffalo, or a cow, or a horse, or a snake, or all of these other beings that are in the animal realm, they experience painful feelings, pleasant feelings, and feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant. However, they can't cultivate their consciousness to the point of attaining enlightenment. They can cultivate their consciousness a bit, This is why we can take an animal and domesticate it, right? So their consciousness can be developed, but not to the level of enlightenment, right? An animal, a dog can't sit down, read a book, understand the Dhamma, do meditation, train the mind to eliminate craving, desire, attachment, train the mind to eliminate this hatred, anger, ill will. It can't eliminate this ignorance, this... knowing of true reality this self and this ego because an animal needs the self that self in the animal world is what allows it to stay alive it needs to protect itself and that self is very important in the animal world but in the human world we don't need it we carry it into the human world But in the animal world, you can't eliminate it because the consciousness can't be cultivated to eliminate it, but if they did, they would essentially be susceptible to predators because they would have eliminated that fear, for example. They need that fear in order to motivate them to protect themselves in the animal world. So an animal, essentially what they're doing is they're playing, they're eating, they're sleeping, they're fighting they're killing right these are the type of things that they do their behavior is very instinctive there is learned behavior in the animal world but because they're motivated out of their instinctive behavior of eating sleeping killing playing these kind of things they have no motivation whatsoever to actually progress on this path. They have no ability to do so, even if they had the motivation to do so. They're just operating out of that basic survival instinct to stay alive. So a lion, for example, is always going to kill. They are going to kill. That's what they are designed to do. They're going to kill. And there's no way for them to get around that because that's how they sustain their life. And they have no interest or ability to learn anything different because that's how they sustain themselves is through killing. Where human beings, we can learn that killing isn't helpful. Where an animal will sometimes need to steal food in order to survive, human beings, we don't need to do that. So we can eliminate things like stealing. A animal is going to have sexual misconduct they're going to sleep with many, many partners. They're going to have illnesses and diseases in the animal world that are far beyond what we experience in the human world. And they can't eliminate that because they're working on animal instinct and survival instincts, a survival of the species, that they're going to have sex with many, 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 many partners in order to propagate their species. And they can't, train themselves otherwise they need that in order to sustain their pack of animals or their herd that's what they do so in the animal realm they're not able to cultivate their consciousness even though they're experiencing these same three feelings as the human realm they're not able to cultivate it in a way that would actually attain enlightenment so all animals are going to need to be constantly reborn over and over and over again until they eventually make it to the human world. And the vast majority of human beings have been reborn out of this animal world. And this is why our consciousness very much functions like an animal. This is why we kill, this is why we kill other humans. We have murderers, we have capital punishment, we have wars, we have this hostility. It's coming from the animal world. This is why we steal. This is why we have sexual misconduct because we're conditioned from our previous lives, so many countless animal lives, that by the time we ultimately make it to the human realm, the mind in the unenlightened state is still very much functioning like an animal an animal is going to have extensive amounts of craving, desire, attachment. It's going to want certain things, right? That's what drives the animal. It wants certain things. And when it doesn't get what it wants, it's then going to become angry and enraged, right? It's going to attack. It's going to fight. It's going to be hostile. And this is what we do in the human realm as well. We have this craving, desire, attachment where we're wanting things so badly and then when we don't get it we become enraged like an animal we even use language like you're acting like an animal or you're fighting like cats and dogs right this language that we use is basically coming from our understanding even at a superficial level about animals in this animal realm so because the vast majority of us are born out of this animal realm when we come into our human existence, the consciousness still functions very much like an animal, where we kill, where we steal, where we have sexual misconduct, where we don't understand these teachings because we have ignorance, a knowing of true reality. We still have this self, where we're trying to protect ourself, and we still have this arrogance and ego, right? If you look at a a lion or a tiger or some of these other beings in the animal realm, they walk around with a certain level of arrogance or pride. And they kind of have to because that's the way they protect their area. That's how they protect their feeding area is they need to go fight and be arrogant and prideful. But in the human realm, we don't need that. And it only gets in the way and it only causes problems for us. So moving from the animal consciousness to the human consciousness, Is this kind of middle zone where the human mind is unenlightened because if the animal of course is completely unenlightened completely affected by these three poisons completely affected by this pollution of the mind with no ability to attain enlightenment once those beings die and are reborn into the human realm like all of us have been that human existence while there's a physical body that's a human and there's a consciousness that is a human that has the ability to now be trained, the consciousness of self is evolving out of the animal realm. So it still very much functions like an animal. And this can be very helpful for you that as you're going about your day and you feel your mind pulling towards something and you're trying to grasp at it and you're having this longing and strong eagerness and you just want something so badly you can see that as an animal behavior or when your mind becomes hostile or aggressive or angry and and you just kind of bark at people or you want to bite people right this is the animal instincts this is the unenlightened mind functioning like an animal or when you feel that protection of a self where you're trying to protect yourself this is that animal instinct or when you're trying to look for a pecking order and you're trying to measure and compare people because the ego wants to know, am I above these people or am I below these people? This is the animal mind trying to figure out a pecking order and trying to figure out where am I in this pack? Am I the alpha dog or am I not? Right? And this is why we do what we do in the unenlightened state because we don't understand, because our mind has been conditioned from all these animal births. And just because we've come into this human body with this human mind, doesn't mean that we're gonna instantly understand. It's only when we learn and practice these teachings that we start to understand our previous animal existences and what that means for us and why we're functioning the way that we are. And once we learn why we're functioning the way that we are in the unenlightened state, now we can do something about it because we can identify these instinctive animal behaviors and now we can practice the opposites in order to move the mind from this animal consciousness to the human consciousness. So when we feel and see that the mind has this craving, desire, attachment, we can practice the opposite because craving, desire, attachment, the mind's lurching and longing and trying to grab things and hold on to it permanently. The opposite of that is generosity. We can cultivate the wholesome root of generosity where we train the mind to let go, living open-handedly. And that's going to help move the mind closer and closer to the human consciousness along with other things. When we see the mind become angered or hatred or ill will, this hostility, this, right? Like you want to bite somebody, right? Then we can identify it for what it is that's the unwholesome root coming from our animal consciousness and now we can cultivate the opposite of that which is loving kindness or active goodwill towards all beings that's the wholesome root so we can transform this poison of hatred anger ill will where you want to be hostile and aggressive and protect your territory or protect yourself or protect anything or hold on When that anger and hostility comes out, you then can identify and be like, oh, wow, that's the animal coming out of me. Let me practice a more human behavior, which would be loving kindness, this active goodwill, this genuine interest in seeing others be well without judgment, without judging people and trying to determine if they deserve your genuine interest in being well, but just treat everybody polite kind friendly and respectful because it's the right thing to do because you're trying to move more and more to this human consciousness and then when you see that you're operating out of this ignorance or delusion or unknowing of true reality when those things happen where you're doing things that you know you feel like gosh i could just kill her or you feel this tendency to kind of steal or you feel this urge to go have sex with other people outside of your present relationship, or just have sex with multiple people, or you feel this urge to lie, or you feel this urge to have substances that cause heedlessness, or you have other urges and cravings. Identify that for this instinctive animal behavior. Identify it for what it is, and now make the choice that I'm no longer going to be an animal, I'm in this human body. I've got this human consciousness. Let me cultivate it and evolve it to be more and more human. And let me practice with wisdom what it is that would transform these unwholesome qualities of the mind into wholesome qualities. So through the wisdom of the Buddhist teachings, which is the antidote to that third poison of delusion or ignorance or unknowing of true reality through learning and practicing the buddhist teachings gaining the wisdom of these teachings then you can transform that ignorance or unknowing of true reality moving away from these instinctive animal behaviors into being more and more human and you can make the conscious choice to do that on a daily basis moment to moment to moment then there's this fourth realm of afflicted spirits in this realm They experience painful feelings and feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant. They don't experience any pleasant feelings in the afflicted spirits realm. They're plagued with extensive amounts of craving, desire, attachment. They experience grave discontentedness, lots and lots of painful feelings, and lots and lots of feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant and they're oftentimes very attached to people, places, and possessions. They have no ability to cultivate their consciousness to attain enlightenment. They can still cultivate the consciousness, and they can move up in realms, just like all the other beings, but they are unable to actually attain enlightenment from that realm itself. They'll need to move into one of these other realms, either human or heavenly, in order to be able to cultivate the consciousness and actually attain enlightenment. So afflicted spirits are kind of like what we might call like ghosts, right? Like dark entities. And these beings can also be around you. They can also be in places that you go to, and you can feel their presence. And as your mind awakens, because they're so attached, because they have so much desire and craving, they might actually try to lurch on to you. And they might actually try to please their cravings through being attached and holding on to you or trying to motivate you to do things for them sometimes these beings don't even realize that they've died sometimes these afflicted spirits they'll actually think that they're still human but they're in this afflicted spirit this kind of formless existence and they will make themselves appear very human and they will show up in your life and people can oftentimes think that they're actually a real human because they look human and then they can kind of disappear or they can walk away and kind of evaporate and people can be shaken up by it because they'll say, I just saw a ghost, right? And when we say that, what the person's seeing and what they're interacting with is a being from this afflicted spirit realm. Then there's this realm of hell this is the fifth realm, of course, the most undesirable realm. But this realm, just like all the other realms, are not permanent or is not permanent. So it's not like you have one life and then you die and you go to hell and you stay there forever in eternity. But you do stay there for a very long period of time and you experience painful feelings. In the hell realm, it's agony to be there. And... You can't cultivate the consciousness to attain enlightenment because there's so much hatred, anger, and ill will in this realm, and there's so much painful feelings, there's no ability to actually attain enlightenment whatsoever. They're experiencing grave amounts of craving, desire, attachment, grave amounts of hatred, anger, ill will, grave amounts of ignorance, delusion, and unknowing of true reality. This would be the most undesirable place to be but once again it's not permanent and these beings will ultimately be reborn through this cycle of rebirth eventually making it to one of the realms where they can potentially attain enlightenment if they end up learning and practicing these teachings so these are the five realms at kind of like a surface level but i would like to open things up and see what questions you guys have about these various realms And I'll help you to understand them in more detail based on your questions.
2: We have a question from Judith. I don't understand how in the heavenly realm, beings can only experience pleasant feelings. If they get attached to them, doesn't that end up becoming unpleasant feelings?
1: It's just the way the realm is. Uh, Why it's that way, why it was created that way. It's just part of the natural laws of existence that the heavenly realm is a very pleasant realm to be in. And that's just an aspect of that realm. That's kind of as much as I can say about that. Are the
2: pleasant feelings conditioned in the same way that we experience pleasant feelings? Because they must be impermanent. They must be, I suppose, in a sense, based on something. Is it possible that they're based on just a kind of relief of not being
1: in a form realm anymore? Could be. It could be. The thing that I think is important is that we understand these realms, and we understand the communication from these realms, but the goal is to not be in heaven truly. The goal is now that we're in the human realm is to understand these teachings and attain enlightenment rather than being too concerned about what goes on in these other realms. I can share with you, this is the experience of these other realms, but why it's set up that way, or you know, why in heaven they only experience pleasant feelings I don't know that it really matters because if you know the answer to that it's not going to help you train your mind any better it's not going to help you actually attain enlightenment in this life it'd be great if we had the answer to that but we just don't have the answer to that of why other than to say it's just set up that way that's just the way it is got it okay thank you david
2: we have a question from manal teacher david what sort of messages would the afflicted spirits or heavenly beings have which are significant enough for them to communicate do the messages need attention of any kind
1: um because they still have craving desire attachment particularly in the afflicted spirits realm they oftentimes are trying to push through in order to interact with people in the human realm so oftentimes the reason why they are reborn either in the heavenly realm or the afflicted spirit realms is because they still have so much attachment and they're still maybe attached to people that are in the human realm. And they're trying to get through to us thinking that somehow that's going to create satisfaction for them, right? Because this craving, desire, attachment is looking external for some type of satisfaction and trying to create this Life And they just think, if I get that craving fulfilled, that's what I need. That's what I need. That's what I need. So beings in these other realms can be very pushy and can be very domineering, particularly in the afflicted spirits realm. They can be very domineering and very pushy to try to oppress upon human beings their cravings and desires and try to get those fulfilled, right? So there's all kinds of things that they may be attached to. I've had experiences where heavenly beings have come to me to communicate to people that are still here. Like I think I told you guys a story recently about a man who died in his thirties and his daughter, she was probably in her twenties. She was only one year old when he died. So when I was with her, he came to me from the heavenly realm and had me communicate some things to her that he felt was important to get to her. It must have helped him to fulfill that craving so that he could potentially move on into a future rebirth and get to enlightenment from the heavenly realm or be reborn back into the human realm to potentially attain enlightenment there. And it also helped this girl that was with me and her family members as well because they had certain craving desire attachments around why did this person die? So, there's a whole host and whole range of things that beings can come to you and be interested to communicate with. And beings from the heavenly realm are typically very light in terms of their energy and the the sensing that you'll sense. It'll be very light, very divine, very uplifting, very peaceful. Beings from the afflicted spirit realms will be very heavy, very dark, very burdensome. And very much wanting things their way. You know, think about somebody who's trying to control or force you with ego or domineering, right? That's what an afflicted spirit is like, where the heavenly beings are much more light and they just kind of like trickle in, kind of give whatever it is they're trying to give, and then they kind of move on. They're very light in their footprint in your life, where afflicted spirits tend to be very heavy and domineering. We have a question from Bill.
2: How were these realms
1: verified by Goethe Buddha? Is this something that he goes into in the Buddha Buddhawajna books? He does. He doesn't talk about exactly how he experienced these, but he does talk about his previous lives in these realms. That's how he knew about them. And that's also how I know about them as well, because... When you experience your past lives and you observe these past lives, you can experience memories from these other realms and you can experience beings like being coming to me from the heavenly realm. You know, that's happened many times. Of course, I'm experiencing the human realm. Of course, we're experiencing the animal realm. We know that very well. And I've experienced beings from the afflicted spirits realm coming to me as well. So you can experience these beings coming to you if you're aware of it. Or even like me, I wasn't even aware of it and it was happening and I learned about it later. So Gautama Buddha observed these realms as well. During his awakening and his enlightenment, he observed his previous lives within these five realms and he talked about countless 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 lives throughout all of these various realms and he actually gave very detailed and very specific recounts of his lives in these various realms i have details on two of my previous births in the human realm that i have a lot of details about and i've seen many 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 animals that i've been in the past But I haven't seen any lives that I lived in these other realms of existence. But for two human existences and lots and lots of animals, I know certain animals that I was in the past, some of them. So you can get to the point where this happens for you, but it doesn't really matter truthfully. That's kind of probably the way that I'll end this conversation and this talk at the end is honestly, these realms really don't matter a whole lot other than the fact that you're going to get communication from these realms and don't be shaken up by it when it happens. And other than the fact that you are human now, therefore you can attain enlightenment in this life in the human realm. Aside from that, what beings you were in the past, it doesn't matter because it's all in the past. It's interesting. It'll prove to you the fact that the cycle of rebirth exists, but it doesn't help you today to attain enlightenment. And what you may or may not be in the future, if you are reborn into any of these realms, it doesn't matter because it's in the future. All that really matters is that you're human right now and you have this ideal opportunity, this ideal existence to learn and practice the teachings to actually attain enlightenment in this life right now. So while I share this stuff, those are the only things that are really actually important. You can set this whole thing, after we talk about this, you can set this whole thing to the side and just focus on the three universal truths, the four noble truths, the eightfold path, the five precepts, the natural law of gamma, the three poisons, doing your meditation practice, training the mind, all of those things to train the mind more and more and more. And you can completely set this to the side and just know that if you ever happen to get to the point where you start experiencing beings from other realms, or you start observing past lives from other realms, it's completely normal. And if you're shaken up by it at all, reach out to me and I will help you to understand it. So while I share this information and it's interesting, those are the only reasons why I share it is because you're going to need to understand it. If you start getting communication from other realms or if you start observing past lives, it can shake you up as it did for me because I didn't understand it. And it created a lot of instability in the mind. Because if you've only ever been taught that you get one life and you either go to heaven or hell at the end, and you start having all these residual memories of past lives, it can really mess with your mind and the consciousness. And that's what it did with me for quite a while until I used the Buddhist teachings and meditation to stabilize the mind and understand this stuff. And then once I did that and I understood it, then the mind became stabilized. We have a question from Neil. How do animals create good karma in such a state
2: to become human? And is there anything I can do for my pets to help them become human?
1: Yes. So this natural law of karma, it affects us whether we're aware of it or not. So just like the natural law of gravity, it affects us whether we're aware of it or not. When we were two, three, four years old, we weren't aware of the natural law of gravity. We had no idea that it existed. All we knew is that whenever we put our toys somewhere, they kept falling off and breaking. Or when we ran too fast, we would fall down and hurt ourselves. But we had no idea what the natural law of gravity was until we got older and became more proficient with it. And now we can roam about the world so easily because we understand this natural law of gravity. Our mind has awakened to this natural law. We've gained the wisdom of this natural law. So now we can function in the world peacefully. But when we were a child and didn't know about this natural law, we were still affected by it. So the natural law of gamma is the same way. For an animal, they're unaware of the natural law of gamma. That's one of the reasons why they can't cultivate their consciousness, because they don't see what they're doing as being wholesome or unwholesome. They have no ability to see that. They have no ability to see that because I'm a lion and I go around and kill and fight all day, that other animals are going to come and fight me, right? So they have no ability to see their gamma and understand the natural law of gamma, but they're still affected by it. So as they're making decisions in their life, even unaware of this natural law, it's helping to improve their life. So like your cats or your dogs that live with you, their gamma is actually quite good as an animal because they're living alongside of humans and their consciousness has been domesticated and evolved to become... A calmer peaceful more loving and compassionate animal whereas if they were still that same dog and they roamed freely out in the world and they were aggressive and hostile and they had to fight for their food they had to kill for their food and things like this they would experience a more difficult rebirth in their future lives so all of you that have animals out there you're actually already helping them by them not having to fight and steal for their food by them living alongside of humans they become more loving more caring more compassionate and this is really good for their life in this animal existence and it's going to bode very well for them when they're reborn so some things that you can do is train them and teach them to be loving and kind and compassionate and you know when they're barking and they're hostile and they're aggressive tame their mind, right? Taming their mind and helping them to eliminate that hostility and anger. When they have that craving and they just want to chase after another animal or they're on the leash and they're pulling and pulling and pulling because of their craving, desire, attachment, you can train them to not have that craving and just walk peacefully. Or if they're protecting their yard and they're really aggressive when people come by, is training them not to have that anger and hostility and become so discontent just because somebody walked past your yard so these kind of things can be very helpful for things like dogs now when you look at cats depending on what kind of cat you have they can have a bit of arrogance and pride and ego right the way that they prance around and the way that they walk around so you know cats can be very loving and they can you know purr and kind of come up against you and kind of Uh, Love on you, and this is very good for them. But wherever you see them have this kind of ego, because cats will have a tendency to want to be up high and above you. You know, train them to be down. Train their ego to no, you be down. You're on the floor. Like don't be up there, because cats are going to want to always be above you because they have ego, a lot of ego, a lot of pride, a lot of arrogance. So training their mind to be down on the floor and low, below humans, will be very helpful to cultivate their consciousness.
2: Okay, we have a question from Javier, and it's a follow-up to Judas' earlier question about heavenly beings. So Javier asks, could it be that although a heavenly being experiences only pleasant feelings, they are still dissatisfied and uneasy deep within them because of impermanence, they're not content even in heaven?
1: Could be could be. I know that I was in the heavenly realm at different times, I know that, but I don't have any recollection other than what I've shared so far about the aspects of the heavenly realm. And as I mentioned, it doesn't really matter a whole lot because the goal is to not end up there. The goal is to learn and practice these teachings to attain enlightenment now in this life so that you're never reborn there or any other realm. We have a question from Lori.
2: Can you experience the hell realm and the human realm at the same time?
1: This is an interesting question. All of your questions are very interesting. One of the things that I share is I feel that in this human realm, we're creating hell on earth. The answer to your question, Laurie, is no, you can not experience both because you're either a being in the human realm or you're a being in the hell realm. The heavenly realm, the afflicted spirits realm, and the hell realm, these are the formless realms. There is no physical form in the heavenly realm, the afflicted spirits realm, and the hell realm. There is no physical form. Those are unique beings. They have a consciousness, but they don't have any form. In the human realm, in the animal realm, this is what we call a form realm. There's physical form and there's a consciousness as well. So if you're a being in the hell realm, then you're a being in the hell realm. If you're a being in the human realm, you're a being in the human realm. But even though we talk about these as realms, it's not like they're in different places. It's not like they're stacked on top of each other. It's not like hell is down in the center of the earth and heaven is all the way up far away all of these realms are in the same physical space, the same plane. So right now I'm sitting here as a human being. But when class is over and I get up and leave, an afflicted spirit could come sit in the same exact spot. Or a being from hell could sit in the same exact spot. Or an animal could come and sit in the same exact spot. Or a heavenly being could come and sit in the same exact spot. So It's not like these are like completely far off places. They're actually all within the same plane, the same physical plane, so to speak. So oftentimes I will share when I'm talking with people and they're interested in discussing this more, Max and I have talked about this a few times, that I feel that us humans, we are actually reverting back to our animal consciousness because of the craving, anger, and ignorance the unknowing of true reality because of the self and the ego that's so pervasive in the human realm, we're actually functioning more and more like animals all the time. This is why the world has become a very dark place. And in some respects, we're creating more and more of a hellish environment. Even though we're here experiencing this human existence, it can feel very hellish like we're only experiencing painful feelings all the time. So that's why I say that, no, you can't experience both realms at the same time because you're either a being in one realm or another. But in this human existence, we can experience feelings and we can create situations around us where it feels very much like hell. And That's one of the reasons why I feel that all of humanity should be highly motivated to learn and practice these teachings because we shouldn't be interested in creating hell on earth. If anything, we should be interested in creating heaven on earth. But the only way that we do that is by learning and practicing the Buddhist teachings to become more and more human, where we function without this craving, anger, ignorance, where we function with wholesome qualities, where we treat each other polite, kind, friendly, and respectful as true human beings, with loving kindness, with compassion, sympathetic joy, equanimity, all these good, wholesome teachings. The more that these teachings spread throughout the world, more and more humans will function as humans instead of as animals. And we won't experience the sickness and the disease and the murders and the rapes and the poverty and the famine and all the other problems that we have on this planet because we've created essentially hell on earth so the more we learn and practice these teachings the world will become more and more of a peaceful place to exist
2: we have a question from alan is there anything we can do to help those in the hell realms
1: The hell beings need to find their own way, just like the afflicted spirits. Animals, we can help them a lot more. Heavenly beings, you know, as these beings show up, whether it's heavenly beings, afflicted spirits or hell beings, if you come in contact with them or they start communicating with you, one of the best things you can do is just tell them to go, to move on, to let it go. Just like I would tell somebody that was angered as a human being and says, David, what can I do to get rid of my anger? You've got to let go of the craving, desire, attachment. So if you come in contact with any of these beings, you can talk with them just like they're a human. You know, don't be afraid of them because they'll try to interact with you. But the thing that's keeping them trapped in these realms is their craving, right? That's what's keeping them trapped. So just tell them, let it go, let it go, let it go you know, be more friendly, be more polite, you know, just let it go. And that's the best thing that they can do. So these afflicted spirits oftentimes are going to come up, show up and be around you. For them, they have so much craving, just like the hell beings that just tell them, let it go. It's okay. You can leave, you know, even telling them sometimes because the afflicted spirits think that they're actually human is let them know you've died. You're no longer human. You know, move on. Eliminate your attachment to being human. You're no longer in this realm. Stop showing up all the time. Just go. You know, move on. You know, you're trying to encourage them to just move on to their next stage because they're holding on so much. That's why they keep showing up and they keep trying to communicate with you. So don't be angry at them. Don't be fearful of them. Don't be aggressive with them, but just by you practicing loving kindness and compassion, by you practicing non-fear, by you practicing generosity and just being kind and loving with them, that can help them to move on.
2: We have a question from Michael. Are heaven and hell just representations of our mind?
1: No, these are actually real beings that exist in these realms. They're not a figment of your imagination. They really do exist there's beings in these five realms.
2: We have a question from Deborah. What determines which realm we go to?
1: Okay, so once you die, if there's craving in the mind, if there's that longing with strong eagerness for anything at all, if there's any craving, desire, attachment, this is the fuel that creates rebirth. So you can think of your existence as like a fire. There's these fires, right? These three fires. And as you age and as you die, If the fire is still burning at the time of death, i.e. if there's still craving, desire, attachment, there's going to be a spark that is the fuel that lights the next fire and creates the next life. If you've extinguished these fires of the three poisons, the three unwholesome roots, the three fires, if you've extinguished this, then there is no spark. There is no next life. There is no rebirth. So what determines if there is rebirth or not is if there's craving in the mind. That's the fuel that creates the next life. What determines what realm you're in is based on your gamma of your current life. So if you are doing lots of wholesome activities, then you're going to have a favorable rebirth. If you're doing a lot of unwholesome activities and there's a lot of hatred in the mind, there's a lot of ill will in the mind, there's a lot of ignorance, there's wrong view, you're not practicing right intention, right speech, right action. These eightfold path, if you're not practicing that, then you're going to be reborn in an unfavorable realm. You're going to go down. So it's all about the condition of the mind at the time of death. It's not about looking at your entire life and some being decides whether you go to one of these realms or not. You're actually deciding it right now. Based on you choosing to either learn and practice these teachings or not, and how much you cultivate your mind, how well you train your mind, at the time of your death, the condition of the mind determines what realm you're going to be reborn in. One of the things that Gautama Buddha said is that someone who's practicing wrong view is going to be reborn in either the animal realm or the hell realm. What wrong view is, is not understanding the Four Noble Truths, that you are the cause of your own discontent mind, that you are causing it through craving, desire, attachment. Essentially, you accepting responsibility for your own feelings. So when you get angry, do you blame other people? If you blame other people and you think that other people are making you angry, you still have wrong view. And if you died at that moment or any other moment and still had wrong view, you would be reborn into the animal realm or the hell realm. Whereas if you understand right view, the Buddha said that this is one of the most important things you could do in your life, essentially, is by understanding the Four Noble Truths and accepting responsibility for your emotions and feelings, realizing that you're causing all your own discontentedness, this is essentially like the first thing that needs to happen in this progression of eliminating discontentedness and attaining enlightenment, you need to establish right view. And this is why in the book, it's at the very beginning. This is why it was the very first talk of Gautama Buddha. This is why I spend so much time always coming back to the Four Noble Truths, because you have to establish right view, that you are the cause of your own discontent feelings. And in doing so, if you establish right view, then it's only a matter of time either in this life or some future life that you will attain enlightenment. But if you never establish right view, then you're going to be reborn in one of the lower realms and that's your gamma. That's the result of your decisions. It's cause and effect or action and result. So craving, desire, attachment determines if there is rebirth. And your gamma, the result of all your decisions that ultimately culminate into the condition of your mind at the time of death, determines which realm you're going to be reborn in.
2: Just a follow up for me then, David, so I understand that our destination upon rebirth, assuming we are reborn, would be the result of our decisions. To what extent do we decide? Do we get to choose? Is there a moment where we have some kind of choice in the matter, or is it purely based on the causes we've put in place?
1: It's not like you get to choose which realm you go to. It's not like an elevator where you get to choose which floor you end up on. It's by way of everything you've done in your life to lead up to the condition of the consciousness at the time of death. Based on that, you're going to be reborn in a particular realm. And this is where I think the Buddhist teachings are just so empowering, right? We talked about this last week with relationship to God, that whether you believe in a supreme being or not, There's not this being that's judging you and trying to decide where you go based on your life and trying to guilt or shame or fear you into doing one thing or another. You're actually completely in control of your own discontent mind. Once you train it, you can eliminate this discontent and you start realizing that more and more as you learn the four noble truths, the eightfold path and everything else. But you're also in control of your rebirth. That's the whole thing, is that by you making good, wholesome choices in this life to cultivate the consciousness and get closer and closer to enlightenment, you are in complete control of what happens to you. That's what the natural law of gamma is all about. That's what the Buddhist teaching is all about. That's what right view is all about, is that you are in control here. You might be out of control now because you haven't trained your mind and you don't have the wisdom. In order to remedy the anger and hatred that you have in your mind, you might not have fully implemented the solution, but that anger is coming from you. That aggression is coming from you. That sadness, that boredom, that loneliness, all being generated by you. So you have the ability to train the mind, cultivate the consciousness and evolve to become more and more human, which means you also have complete ability to determined through good wholesome choices of learning and practicing these teachings to essentially determine if you're going to be reborn or not because if you choose like "Uh, tonight i don't feel like it i'm not going to meditate that's a choice that okay i'm going to kind of accept rebirth (laughs) potentially or uh you know i'm not going to learn today i'm not going to this or i'm not going to do that you know if you're just taking a break here and there that's fine but keeping your sights on the goal but as you're making choices to be angry or hostile or as you're making choices to be loving and kind and compassionate as you're making choices to either practice right speech or not as you're choosing to steal or commit sexual misconduct all of these decisions that you're making is doing something to your consciousness so these are all decisions that you're making so You can say that you are choosing whether you're going to be reborn or not. And you're not choosing a specific realm like an elevator, but it is your choices that ultimately lead to rebirth or not. And the more time and effort that you dedicate to learning and practicing these teachings to cultivate the consciousness, not only do you see the condition of the mind improving and you know you're on the right path, but you also know that these five realms eventually, if you keep on going, you're going to attain enlightenment and no longer be reborn. Even if you don't attain enlightenment in this life or at death, the more you learn and practice these teachings and get closer and closer to a human consciousness, you at least have the ability to be reborn back into the human realm, which gives you another opportunity to continue to cultivate the consciousness. Because in that first and second stage of enlightenment, you are going to be reborn back into the human realm. But the only way you're going to get to that first or second stage of enlightenment is if you cultivate the consciousness through the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path, and all the other teachings along with meditation. And if you can at least get to that first or second stage of enlightenment, then at least you're going to be reborn back into the human world. But if you've made it that far, there's no reason to give up there, keep on going, and really go for full enlightenment in this life so that you can eliminate the whole cycle of rebirth because that's the whole thing that's keeping you trapped in this existence and you keep experiencing sickness, aging, death, and this misery of existing.
2: Right, so you know we clearly have some uh, very strong influence in this existence as a human to affect our rebirth. And say, as a human, if you were to look at an animal, like, say, a deer, for example, and say, you know, that looks like quite a harsh existence. I have zero desire to be reborn as a deer. And having seen that, would it still be possible for a human to be reborn as a deer? So if they had no craving to be reborn in a certain way, would that remove
1: the probability of that happening? No. No. Uh, you can still end up in the animal realm in any particular animal. You don't get to choose which animal you're going to be. It's all based on your karma as a part of your cultivation of your consciousness. So you're not choosing which realm consciously, and you're not choosing which animal or which being in that realm. But by you not practicing the teachings, you are essentially accepting rebirth or by you cultivating the consciousness and learning the teachings you are saying i'm ready to get out of here right i'm ready to get out of here i'm not interested in coming back here at all and that's actually how i used the cycle of rebirth for a really long time even before i knew anything about it and i just kind of set it to the side i used it as motivation because i was like I'm not interested in coming back to the human realm. I'm not interested in being an animal. I'm not, of course, not interested in being afflicted spirits or in hell. And I'm not even interested in being in the heavenly realm. I'm interested in getting the heck out of here, right? Peace out. See you later, right? And that's how you can motivate yourself, whether you ever observe your past lives or not. As you start learning and practicing these teachings, if you've even seen marginal improvement in the condition of your mind, you know that the Buddhist teachings are truth because you've seen the condition of the mind improving. So these teachings that you've been learning so far that's improving the condition of your mind, do you think he told the truth about all that stuff and he just kind of slipped in these five realms just for the heck of it and he lied about that? No, he didn't. He's the fully, perfectly enlightened Buddha. He's not gonna lie about anything. And if you experience your past lives or you really wanted to talk about it in detail, you'll know these realms are true. But even if you don't know that, but if you've just seen any kind of marginal improvement in the condition of your mind through meditating the way the Buddha taught, by practicing the Eightfold Path, like right intention, right speech, right action, by understanding the Four Noble Truths and seeing the truth there, if you even seen any marginal improvement, then that should help you to at least kind of start seeing, you know what? The Buddha knew what the heck he was talking about. This guy was smart. This guy had deep wisdom. His teachings explain exactly why I'm experiencing discontentedness. And I've been able to improve the condition of the mind through his teachings. So these five realms are a hundred percent truth. I can tell you wholeheartedly, they're a hundred percent truth. And if you do anything with them whatsoever, just use it as motivation of I'm getting the heck out of here because I'm not interested in coming back whatsoever. And don't do it with craving, desire, attachment, but just be like, you know what? No way that I'm interested in coming back here. I'm getting out of here. The more you cultivate the consciousness and you see the condition of the mind improve, you'll know that you're headed in the right direction. And then once you actually attain enlightenment and you're experiencing this peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy, even though you've used the cycle of rebirth and this misery of existence as your motivating factors to get to enlightenment, once you get to enlightenment, life is so peaceful, calm, and content with joy. It's kind of like, wow, I could do this. I can do this for several thousands of years. Like, sure, this is really enjoyable in this enlightened mind. Wow. Yeah, that unenlightened mind was horrible and I'm so glad I don't have that anymore but you know what? This enlightened mind actually feels quite nice. Like, I really enjoy this. Like, hey, life is kind of just started. You know, now that the mind's peaceful, comes reading, content with joy. So don't be surprised if you use the cycle of rebirth as motivation to get out of these realms and out of the cycle of rebirth. But then once you attain enlightenment, don't be surprised if you're like, oh, wow, this is kind of nice. I kind of enjoy this. This is actually quite wonderful now. you know, so use it as motivation to get the heck out of here. Who wants to come back here to this place ever again, even though there's certain pleasures, there's certain things that we enjoy about our human existence. In reality, it's miserable to be born into some kind of physical form like a body to feel these aches and pains and sensations and the sickness and this aging and your friends around you are dying and you're feeling discontent because of different things that are going on. You know, the unrelated mind is quite miserable. So use this cycle of rebirth just to motivate you to get the heck out of here and be done with it.
2: All right, we had a similar question from Judith, so I'll read that out too. She asks, is it true that according to Buddhism, we choose the family and country we're born in and the experiences that we're going to encounter in this life?
1: You're choosing it through your gamma, but it's not a conscious choice, right? So craving, desire, attachment is the fuel that determines if there's going to be rebirth. So if there is craving, desire, attachment, there's going to be rebirth. Your gamma or the results of your decisions, determines what realm you're born in, and it also determines what condition you're reborn into. So if you are reborn in the animal realm, your gamma is going to determine which animal you're going to be reborn as. Or if you're reborn, say, from the animal realm into the human realm, it's your gamma that decides which country, which family, what condition the family is, what condition the human body's in. So if you're born with a beautiful appearance, lots of intelligence, You've got a really wealthy family that can kind of provide things for you very easily. You have easy access to education and these kind of things. This is all because of your past Gama. If you're born into the human realm in famine conditions and poverty and these kind of situations, this is from your gamma from your previous life that is creating this. So the message of the Buddhist teachings, no matter where you look, whether it's the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path. The natural law of Gamma here in the five realms it's all about you have complete control every decision that you make wholesome or unwholesome is leading to some consequence either in this life or some future life so the idea is is make a lot of good wholesome choices because you can't run from your bad decisions You can't run from that unwholesomeness. You're going to experience that either in this life or some future life.
2: We have a question from Neil about afflicted spirits. Neil asks, can these hungry ghosts hurt us?
1: They can only hurt you if you allow them to. So if your mind is fearful, then they can harm you in terms of your mental aspect of your mind. Uh, There are some people that have experienced physical harm from these afflicted spirits, but it's somewhat rare. The more fear that's in the mind, the more these beings of afflicted spirits and hell kind of feed on that, and they will gravitate towards you like a magnet. So that's one of the reasons why you need to eliminate fear from the mind, so that these afflicted spirits and hell beings are not drawn to you and they don't affect you. People who have a lot of fear in their mind will be affected by these afflicted spirits more so than anyone else so a few chapters ago we talked about eliminating fears we need to eliminate fear because it's a discontentedness and that's what you need to do in order to attain enlightenment but it's also going to eliminate this attraction that the afflicted spirits and hell beings have to you if you eliminate the fear so it's important to eliminate fear to get to enlightenment but also to help you not have these afflicted spirits and hell beings attracted to you we have
2: a question from martino how can we know the heavenly affict- afflicted spirits and the hell realm really exist is this something you see and know as soon as you are enlightened
1: Not everybody who's enlightened is going to experience looking at these realms and know that these realms exist. And there's not a moment where you become enlightened. It's not like a switch that's either on or off. It's a gradual progression. The mind becomes closer and closer and closer, gradually progressing to enlightenment. So as one's mind awakens, gradually coming closer and closer to enlightenment, as you clear out the pollution of the mind, you very much can actually observe these past lives in these various realms. So essentially, as you are born into this life, you are born into this human life with this physical body in this consciousness. There's craving that moves in from one consciousness to the next. So one life to the next, craving moves into that next life. But also residual memories from past lives move into the new consciousness as well so even though as a human being right now you have a certain mind and there are certain things that you can remember from this life you're pretty much like standing on the street of a city and you can only see this one street this one life that's all you can pretty much see right now But as you learn the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path, all the other teachings, as you train the mind through meditation and you kind of remove the darkness of the clouds, as you remove this pollution of the three poisons, then what tends to happen is as you remove these clouds, it's like going up on top of a mountain. And now instead of seeing just the street that you were on, this life you can see all the streets, all the cities, and how they interconnect with each other. But right now, if you haven't seen these other five realms, if you haven't seen your past lives, it just means that you still have pollution of the mind and you haven't removed it enough. You haven't ascended high enough to the mountain to be able to look down and see all these lives and how they all connect. So as the mind awakens... Don't be surprised if you are able to see these other realms, beings in these other realms, you interact with beings in these other realms, or that you see previous lives. With that said, not every enlightened being is going to have that experience. Everyone who attains enlightenment doesn't see their past lives. Everyone who attains enlightenment doesn't experience these five realms. And that's why I tell you that you don't need that in order to attain enlightenment. So you can set this whole question of these five realms to the side because I never suggest anybody believe me about anything. So don't believe me and don't believe the Buddha. So if you haven't experienced your observation of past lives or these other realms, just set this whole thing about the cycle of rebirth to the side Because as you learn and progress on this path, you may awaken more and more where you're removing this darkness and this pollution of the three poisons from the mind, and you may experience past lives, or you may experience these other realms and communication from these other realms. But if you don't, you can still attain enlightenment and still progress through training the mind without having ever experienced these other realms. So... Moving and progressing, awakening the mind, gaining wisdom and training the mind to this higher and higher consciousness, it's like going to the top of this mountain and looking over and you'll be able to see more of this life that you're currently in, why you've made mistakes at different parts of your life, what those unwholesome decisions that you made during this life that led to unwholesome results. And you'll be able to see and understand more of this life that you're currently in and why things have either turned out well for you or turned out unwell. And you'll be able to improve your conduct and improve your decision making in order to improve this life. But moving up to that higher vantage and that higher consciousness through training the mind, you just may very well see your previous lives or beings in these other realms as well. So just don't be surprised if it happens, but also don't be surprised if it doesn't happen either. You can still progress on this path to enlightenment.
2: Thank you, David. That's all of our questions about the five realms. And I suggest we maybe leave the other questions to the end.
1: Okay. So now that we've talked about this, let's move on to the next one, which is, kind of moving from this animal to human consciousness, which we've been discussing a little bit here. And I've kind of already mentioned a few of these things. The vast majority of our rebirths in this human realm, we're moving from animal to human. And this is the consciousness that we're born into this world with. It's very much like an animal. This is why we kill. This is why we steal. This is why we have sexual misconduct. This is why we don't understand the things that are happening. This is why we have this lack of memory. This is why we operate through a praise and reward system. If you look at animals, they respond to a praise and reward system, just like humans. This is how we're kind of raised and brought up as children. You know, if we do something good, we get praised and we like that and we tend to do more of that. And then, as a human, if someone degrades us or tells us we've done badly, then we tend to kind of maybe perhaps not do those things. So the mind lacks the memory, it has this praise and reward system, and we learn from our pack of like species. We have these instinctive behaviors as humans, but we also have learned behaviors that we get from our pack, right? Just like a herd of animals or a pack of animals learn and socialize from each other and learn what's acceptable in that herd or in that pack, humans do the same thing through our socialization and learn behaviors. We function very much like animals as we're born into this human life. Even though we're in a human body and we have a human consciousness, our mind has been conditioned from these previous animal births. And that's why we function very much like animals, even though we're in the human existence if you think about humans, we're utterly fascinated with animals, right? Just look around you, right? Why do we have animals in our homes, right? Because we're just fascinated with animals. Why do we mostly people are just so intrigued by things like National Geographic or other animal type shows? Turn on Netflix and you'll see animal documentaries teaching us about the animal world, you know, backwards and forwards. I just bought my son a big stack of books from a place here in Thailand that's all about nature and animals. We're fascinated with animals. We interact with animals. We rely on animals, horses and cows, and all these animals are around us everywhere. We're just so fascinated with animals because we've been so many animals in the past. And we're just so utterly fascinated with them. The animal consciousness is preoccupied with craving, hatred, and ignorance, the ego and protection of a self. As we talked about, the animal consciousness needs those things. An animal doesn't survive without those things. It needs this strong desire to go out and do things and propagated species. It has to have this aggression and anger to protect itself. This ignorance and arrogance, this ego, this protection of a self, without these things, animals don't survive. Without having sex with multiple partners, animals don't survive. So these things that happen in the animal consciousness, they transfer into our human consciousness in this human life but we don't need these things. And the more that we clean these things out of our mind, we start functioning more and more like human beings and less like animals. And that's what this path to enlightenment truly is, is moving the mind from this animal consciousness to the human consciousness, evolving our consciousness from the animal consciousness to the human consciousness. And the more you understand that, then you can identify these animalistic behaviors that you have in the unenlightened mind. And when you identify them, then you can train the mind to be more and more human. And it's just going to take you time on that path. So now moving to this last part is where I'm really kind of focusing in helping you understand that the real goal here is to evolve from this animal consciousness to the human consciousness, to this better existence. And eliminating all this misery of existing enlightenment not only creates this peaceful calm serene, and content mind with joy but it eliminates this cycle of rebirth it's an end to this cycle of rebirth there's some Buddhist schools some Buddhist teachings that are not from Gautama Buddha that will tell you the goal is to be reborn but that's not the goal whatsoever that's not what Gautama Buddha taught. The goal is to attain enlightenment. And as you progress closer and closer to this mental state, you will eliminate the cycle of rebirth through attaining enlightenment. Essentially, you're learning to become more human. And through that experience, you will become a better and better human, experiencing a better, better existence, coexisting peacefully with all beings. Because animals Not only do they fight within their pack or within their herd, but oftentimes they fight with other animals of other species, right? So, like hyenas fight with lions and lions fight with hyenas. But lions also kill their own members of their own pack as well. And human beings do the same thing. We kill members of our own pack, our own humans, right? So, that's what a human does in the unenlightened state. An enlightened being. Would never kill, would never kill another human, would never kill another animal, right? So, an enlightened being is not going to kill. So, through becoming more and more enlightened on this path to enlightenment, you'll learn to live more peacefully with all beings of your same pack of species. And you'll develop this loving kindness and compassion for all beings, not just members of our own pack, but you'll also. Be friendly, loving, kind, respectful to deer, to lions, to turtles, to fish. You know, members of other species, you will have this loving kindness and compassion for as an enlightened, more and more enlightened human being. But as an unenlightened human being, you're going to have craving, anger, ignorance. You're going to have this aggression and hostility towards members of your own pack, which is humans and potentially have aggression towards animals and other species of other packs, right? That's what an animal does. But an enlightened being is going to be able to live peacefully and coexist peacefully with members of its own pack, as well as other species as well. The condition of our planet is due to human's mind, this craving, anger, ignorance, the ego, and the self reverting to the animal consciousness so if you look around the world and you see all the harm in the world if you see all the darkness all the hostility all the aggression all the rage all the fear all the guilt and shame and boredom and loneliness and jealousy and resentment if you see all these things then what you're seeing is you're seeing the animal consciousness And the condition in the darkness of the planet is from that, from these conditions of human beings having these aspects of the mind. As we eliminate this from the mind, the world becomes a more peaceful place. So if each human walked towards the light, we would essentially create a better and better world. Another way to say that is if each human does not walk towards the light, And continues to reside in the darkness, then the planet will continue to become a darker and darker place. So it's through walking towards the light. Walking towards the light is becoming more wise, it is practicing these teachings where we don't have yearning and this longing with a strong eagerness, which causes discontentedness. Walking towards the light is eliminating anger and hatred and ill will, hostility, aggression, these animal instinctive behaviors. Walking towards the light is gaining this wisdom where we no longer have ignorance or unknowing of true reality that we understand that we need to stop killing, we need to stop stealing, stop having sexual misconduct, stop lying, stop taking substances that cause heedlessness, start having right view and right intention where we're practicing harmlessness, start speaking to each other polite and kind and friendly using those five factors of well-spoken speech. Having wisdom is to not do harm through our bodily actions, through having livelihoods that are wholesome and good, that don't cause harm in the world, through practicing right effort where we're trying to eliminate unwholesome qualities from the mind and cultivate wholesome qualities, where we have awareness of our mind and the thoughts and our consciousness. We're not just haphazardly tromping through life and stepping all over people, but we have this consciousness and this awareness of mind and the thoughts that are in the mind, and we're actively working to eliminate the unwholesome qualities and arise wholesome qualities. What it means to build wisdom and eliminate this arrogance is to meditate and develop right concentration Where we're training the mind through breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation and training the mind to have singleness of mind where we're able to now function in the world in a more and more human way without the ego without this arrogance and pride, without this protection of a self, where we're fearful of people coming into our territory, where we can share and be generous and loving, kind, compassionate. And by doing this, we create a better and better place in the world. Essentially, we're all as a humanity, either walking towards the darkness, or we're walking towards the light. Which direction we walk is completely our choice. It's an individual choice. We don't have to get the whole world together and we don't have to get every single person in the world to agree to walk in the direction of the light. Individually, as an individual choice, our own decisions lead to our own results. We can choose individually to walk towards the light. And that's going to influence our consciousness, evolve it from the animal consciousness to the human consciousness. And in doing so, we're going to be causing less and less harm in the world, which means there's going to be more and more peacefulness around us in our life. And by doing that, it's going to naturally influence other people. We're not training our mind because we are trying to influence other people. We're training our mind because we know it's the right thing to do, and we want to get the heck out of this whole cycle of rebirth. we were interested in experiencing this peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. But by walking towards the light, gaining this wisdom, eradicating this pollution that we have in the mind, becoming more and more human, we not only cause less harm in the world, which means we create a more and more peaceful life for us but people around us are going to be influenced more and more to learn and practice these teachings and as we do as an entire humanity as an entire human race we will become more and more peaceful essentially right now is the time for human beings to evolve every single species in the world whether it's a lizard a snake a bear a lion, a tiger, whatever it is, every single species has evolved over time. The human beings, we have not evolved in all of these years, in all of these centuries. Sure, we've gained more technology, more modernization, things like this. But in terms of our consciousness and how we relate to each other, we've actually been declining we've become more and more hostile, more aggressive. We've become more pollutant. We've destroyed our environment. We've done all these harmful things to our environment and to people around us. And because of that, our world has become a darker and darker place where we're kind of teetering on the edge of whether human existence is even actually going to continue in the next few generations, because in the next, you know, maybe 10 years or so, if we don't really get our arms around this planet and figure out how to stop polluting the planet and stop causing harm to the planet, then our human existence may not even continue, which is fine because that's just the way it's going to be. But we're kind of teetering on this. So right now is the time for people to now choose to learn and practice these teachings And walk towards the light. And by all of us choosing to do that individually, we improve our life. We improve the condition of our mind. And by doing that, we cause less and less harm in the world, which means we're going to be influencing people around us. And more and more people will experience a better and better world where we can peacefully coexist with each other and stop killing each other. Stop being hostile to each other stop stealing from each other, stop hoarding resources and allowing people on the planet to have hunger and famine and poverty. We can share. We can be generous. We can be better than we currently are. Where we are in the human world right now is this is like the lowest point in human civilization that we've ever experienced. We've got more murders, rapes, drug abuse, famine, disease, We can keep going. Corrupt politics. We've got more of this stuff in the world now than we've ever had at any other time in humanity. And now we need to see our karma. We need to see the results of our unwholesome decisions for many, many generations of what we've done to the planet, what we've done to each other, what we've done to this world. And now that we're experiencing all this unwholesomeness returning to us, we need to make a decision individually to now do something better and something better is learning these teachings and progressing where we can evolve our consciousness to being less animal and more human and that's the way we create heaven on earth for all of us to experience a more peaceful life here on earth so i'd like to just kind of open up to any and all questions that you guys might have at this point
2: thank you david let's go to some more general questions then so we have a question from michael he asks in relation to his earlier question about soul and no soul michael asks so i know the buddha said there is no soul so if i had a near-death experience and i experienced it myself that is having a soul or experienced seeing and being a soul does that mean that i verified it myself
1: The Buddha didn't say that there was no soul. He didn't teach that there was a soul or there isn't a soul. He didn't teach either side of that question. So that's important to understand. But if you've had a near-death experience or you've died and then you've observed the physical body and then you came back into the body, this is to show you that the consciousness or the mind is separate from the body. So when the consciousness is say like someone experiences death and they have an out-of-body experience and they're looking down at their body and then 45 minutes later or three hours later, boom, they come back into the body. This is just the consciousness. I wouldn't call that a soul at that point. It's just an out-of-body experience where the mind can observe that the physical body and consciousness are two separate things.
2: Out of interest, David, when you've experienced past lives, do you experience them from the first person perspective, like you're in the eyes looking out, or from the third person perspective, so you like an outer body experience looking at this other being, or perhaps a mixture of both?
1: It's actually neither of those things. It's not like I'm looking and like seeing this previous being. It's that the memories are coming to the mind and I actually think that I'm that being at that particular moment this is where people think like multiple personality disorder has occurred but in reality what it is is these people are having residual memories of their past lives once you awaken you know i've talked about it kind of like unraveling a twine so if you think of like the consciousness is bound up and having all these memories residual memories bound up inside of it with this twine wrapped around it as you Awaken as you start meditating and training the mind, and you unravel this mind, and those residual memories start surfacing. You can actually experience the memories from those previous lives. In in my situation, I felt like I was those beings, and I was in situations where I was having conversations with people as if I was that being from the past. And luckily, it was happening here in Thailand. And those people completely understood what was happening. And it's almost like, you know, there's like a shock and you come back like, whoa, what was that? Oh, wow. Like it's, it's kind of like unsettling a bit. So I've had conversations for five minutes or 10 minutes or so where I thought that I was this other being and I was conversating as that other being. And the Thai people who I was talking to completely understood what was going on and they just you know, kind of talked and talked and talked. And then after some period of time, it kind of snapped out of it. And then I realized like, whoa, like what just happened? Like, whoa. So like f- the very first human existence that I experienced was, or the the very first human life that I had, not the first human life that I experienced, but the first human life that I ex- had as part of this stream of consciousness was as a monk during the lifetime of Gotama Buddha. So at different times during my life, I've spoken as if I was that monk. And here in Thailand, when I spoke as if I was that monk, people actually just understood it. And they just kind of like went along with it. And I didn't realize what was going on at the time. But then at some point, the mind kind of snapped out of it. And then like, boom, I was back to David. And then like looking back, I realized what was going on. And I have those residual memories of being a monk at that particular time during Gautama Buddha's lifetime. When at that time I attained the first stage of enlightenment because I was reborn a second time into a second human existence, which I've talked very little about. And then at that life, the second life I attained the second stage of enlightenment. And then now this is a birth that I had during this life. This is the third human birth. But there's a lot of memories in my mind from that immediately present, the the life immediately before this one, that that second human life. That one I have a a tremendous amount of memories about. The very first human life, which was 2,500 years ago, I just have very, very little memories about that one. But the one that happened 2,000 years ago, which was the one right before this life, I have a lot of memories of that one. In fact, when I was growing up at the age of eight, I would have excruciating pains in the body because this particular being was murdered and they had died at the hands of people. And there was very specific injuries that happened to this person during their life. And at the age of eight, I would lay in the bed and complain to my mom and dad about all these pains that I was having in my body. And I was explaining to them all these pains that was in my body. And my parents didn't believe me. And they were just like, go to bed, go to sleep, you're dreaming, whatever. But I would recount many times about all these physical pains that I was having in the body and where I was having them. And now that I've looked back and I saw this previous life, I know that those pains were from the death of that individual and the ultimate murder that happened that the body was um, injured. And that's why I was experiencing those physical pains. So if you've had multiple human lives, you're probably, if your experience is similar to mine, you're going to experience the most memories of the life just before this one where the life two times ago, I don't really have that many memories from, just a few memories. And then as the animal births, what happened here is when I was laying down one night, I had all these flashes of animals, like almost like a movie strip come through my mind, where it was just like one animal after another, after another, after another, after another, just like... (sighs) all the way through my mind and seeing all these animal existences like snapshots in time. And all through my life, in this life, I've known things about animals that I shouldn't know. Like I've never studied animals. I've never researched it. I've never, you know, dug into understanding animals. But I know essentially so many different animals about what they eat, what they don't eat, what the prey animals are. I know their behaviors. I know so many things about animals, and this all came from residual memories from these animal existences. So the craving moves forward into your current existence, but also these residual memories move forward as well. And you're not always aware of where these memories are coming from. But if you have these memories, just know that it's coming from your previous lives.
2: All right. Thank you. We have a question from Michael about God. Michael asks, is God the divine and symbolic representation of enlightenment?
1: Um, That's an interesting way to think about it. Um, You know, God has the deepest wisdom about enlightenment of any being anywhere. He understands the natural laws of existence because he created them. He's the deepest practitioner of the Dhamma of any being in existence. And he can share that wisdom with you. So, if you listen to the talk last week, where towards the end I was saying, you know, you don't need to believe in God in order to attain enlightenment. You can pursue this path without any kind of understanding or relationship with God. But if you do choose to have a relationship with God and you, through prayer, rather than asking for things, more money, more cars, more better life or whatever. Don't treat God like a genie in a bottle, but if you pray and say, I believe in you, I know that you exist, I am open to your guidance, and I accept your guidance in my life, and thank you for being part of my life. If you remember these three things and you pray in that way, God will make himself known to you more and more in your life. And you will receive guidance because he knows the Dhamma so well that he will support and encourage you and help you along. It's still your free will. You still have to make the personal choices, but he will give you guidance along your path. So the more that you let him know that you believe in his existence, the more that you let him know you're open to his guidance. Don't crave it. Don't request it, but just let him know you're open to it because he's not going to always be there. He's not attached to you. He's always around, but he's not he's not attached to you. And then just give him thanks for all the help and all the support. So if you do those three things, you will actually gain benefit in doing so. So if you don't have a relationship with God, you can still attain enlightenment and progress without any understanding or relationship with God. But if you would like to have a relationship with God, you should go back and listen to what I did in the talk last week and read that chapter in the book if you haven't already. And then by praying in this way, you can actually receive help potentially along this path. But you still have to do all the work. God isn't going to do any work for you whatsoever. He'll give you guidance. He'll give you support. He'll give you encouragement. He'll even share wisdom with you but you still have to make all the choices and you have to do all the work.
2: We have a question from Javier about meditation. Do we cut off thoughts or do we observe or do we reflect on the teachings?
1: In meditation of breathing mindfulness meditation, you're cutting off the thoughts and you're bringing the mind to the breath. That's all you're doing in that meditation. You're not trying to reflect on the teachings at all. You're just observing the breath and maintaining the focus on the breath because the unenlightened mind is going to have this craving desire attachment where it wants to grab onto things and hold onto it permanently. And you're training the mind so that you can get control over it. So whenever the mind goes to the past, the future, there's any thoughts or ideas or perceptions coming into the mind, wherever you notice that at whatever point you do, you cut it off, let it go and bring the mind to the breath. And over time, you'll gain more and more control over the mind, not only in meditation, but outside of meditation too. That's the real benefit is that when something happens, you can just let it go and no big deal, right? So that's where the real benefit comes in, but you're not able to control the mind if you haven't trained it. So in breathing mindfulness meditation, you're only just cutting thoughts and letting it go. Now, one thing that can be helpful If you haven't allowed impermanence to soak into the mind by going around, looking at the world, seeing that the concrete is impermanent, the fence is impermanent, the wind is impermanent, the sun is impermanent, the clouds are impermanent. You know, if you haven't done that and you haven't allowed impermanence to soak in with deep wisdom, one of the things you can do, and the Buddha talked about this, is meditate on the perception of impermanence. This is one of the things that he talked about. So while you're in breathing mindfulness meditation and you're focused on the breath, if you don't understand impermanence and you haven't allowed it to soak into the mind yet, as a thought comes up in the mind and then it goes away because you've cut it off and brought the mind to the breath, you can think, ah, impermanence. Or as a sensation comes up on your skin and you feel like you want to itch it, don't itch it. And then when it goes away, ah, impermanence. Or when you're in meditation and you feel a breeze blow over your face and then it's gone, ah, impermanence. So if you need that for a few sessions to really soak impermanence into the mind, this is a really beneficial thing that you can do for the mind, but you probably are gonna need that for a few sessions before it really soaks in. So the real goal in breathing mindfulness meditation is to cut the thoughts, bring the mind to the breath, and gain control over the mind.
2: Okay, we have a question that's come in anonymously. Question is, how to learn to let go of attachments? Can you give an
1: example? There's lots of examples. So you understand the problem is craving, desire, attachment. The solution is breathing mindfulness meditation and generosity. You have to be practicing these two to train the mind to let go. And then you have to train the mind to identify attachments and put a plan in place of how to move away from these attachments, and each attachment is different. I dedicated a a specific chapter on this in the book, so I'm not gonna be able to, in this short answer, explain this all to you. So you're gonna need to start with this book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Nibbana, and you're gonna have to start at the beginning and progress through so that you can understand this whole aspect much more deeply because I can't really answer in like three to five minutes about how to eliminate an attachment because it's a much deeper talk than that. And I devoted a lot of content in the book to that. And there's talks about that that I've already done where I've spent two hours talking about identifying attachments and eliminating them. So I suggest that you download this book, it's free and access the podcast or the YouTube channel where I already did talks on that so that you can learn that content because it's not possible for me to explain it in just a couple of minutes of an answer in a class like this.
2: Thank you, David. We have no more questions.
1: Okay. So I will wish you guys a very wonderful rest of your day. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday wherever you might be. And I would like to let you guys know that tomorrow, my son and I are leaving for a little bit of travel. So we're probably going to be gone for about a week. And on Wednesday and Saturday, I'm going to still be holding class, still live streaming, but I'll be in a different location. So you shouldn't be surprised when the background back here changes because of impermanence, right? So you'll see that I'm going to be on the road. I won't be probably attending to the Facebook group as closely as I have in the past, which is also part of impermanence. But I would like to take my son out and show him the world, right? I need to teach him and show him and educate him and help him learn things in the world. So the next seven days, while I'm going to be teaching classes on Wednesday, Saturday, and Sunday, I'm really going to be devoting a lot of my time over the next seven days to helping my son to learn and grow and come into the world and learn more about this world around him. So we're going to be taking a car trip and we're going to be driving around to some different places in Thailand and helping him experience some different things and learning different things. This is Part of my responsibility as being a father is helping him to grow up and helping him to learn, helping him to understand the world around him so that he can have a better and better life for himself. And then as part of my Kama, as me taking care of him and my wife taking care of him and growing and teaching him and guiding him all through his life, as we get old, then he's going to take care of us. Not because I asked him to, not because I told him to, but that's just what's going to happen right all too often what we do in our society is as our parents age because we're so busy working and we have so much craving to work we just put our parents in a senior citizen home those things exist here in thailand but people don't really use them there's very few of them around what happens is the parents take really really good care of the kids and then as the parents get older the kids take really really good care of the parents This is the natural law of Gamma. So I'm taking my son out and I'll take future trips with him. He's only eight years old. This will probably be the first of many times that we travel. But part of my role as his father is to teach him how to be a man and teach him about this world and help him grow, help him learn not only the Buddhist teachings, but lots of other things in life as well. And as he does and his life becomes better and better and he gains more and more knowledge and he's able to sustain his life more and more in the world, he will really appreciate that, and he will remember that, and he will understand this time that he spends with dad as part of these various trips that we will take over the course of his life and the rest of my life. And as a result, because of the natural law of karma, him receiving this calm, patient guidance, this wisdom from his dad, he will naturally, on his own, without me asking him, he will decide to take really good care of dad and take really good care of mom as he ages and as we age because he's going to remember that mom and dad did that for him. And again, we don't do this because we want something from him or we desire something from him, but because of just the way the natural law of karma works, the more you take good care of the people around you, they're going to be willing to take good care of you too. And that's just the way the natural law of Gamma works. So don't be surprised if you don't hear from me as frequently through private message or Facebook group or whatever over the next seven days. But you will see me in class on Wednesday, Saturday, and Sunday. On Wednesday, we're going to be doing breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation. The same thing on Saturday, breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation. And then on next Sunday, we're going to be in chapter 21, which is do no harm. What is the future of our planet? We're going to be discussing how these teachings of evolving our consciousness, becoming more wise practitioners of the Buddhist teachings, also relates to not only not causing harm to other beings, but not causing harm to our planet as well. Because if we do, that harm is going to come back to us. Whereas if we take really good care of our planet and make good wholesome choices there, then we'll experience the benefits of that. So we're going to be discussing that on next Sunday. So continue to learn this chapter. Listen back to this talk if you like. Listen to the talk I did six months ago about this topic because it was very different talk and different questions in the class back then. That's on the podcast as well as in YouTube. And then just as I always say, treat everybody with politeness, kindness, friendliness, and respect. Not because you have to, not because you're required to, not because you want something from that person, but just because it's the right thing to do, to treat everyone polite, kind, friendly, and with respect. So I'll see you next time. Until then, Saba Thank you for listening to this podcast.